And then let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're continuing to look at some of the colors of Christmas this morning. Last week we looked at the color of purple, the color of the repentance of sin, and the color of the forgiveness of sin. And today we look at the second color of Christmas, which is the color white. Of course, our Advent candles are purple, the four Sundays, and then the center candle, the Christ candle, is white. Typically a symbol of purity, a symbol of godliness, a symbol of holiness, as we live our lives now in the expectancy of Christ's second coming. And that is the theme that 2 Peter chapter 3 addresses. 2 Peter is probably the last book of the, Old, of the New Testament that was both written and accepted into the New Testament canon. It was probably somewhere in the early or mid part of the 2nd century A.D. before it was written. So we've had a long period of time since maybe as much as 100 years since the life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and Jesus hasn't come back. And there are those who are saying, well, he's not coming back. And that's the theme that 2 Peter chapter 3 picks up on, on beginning with verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffers scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Now, Second Peter, the writer, is, is referencing uh, the great flood that takes place in Genesis. Noah and the ark, that story there in Genesis. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, the writer of 2 Peter is bringing in some Greek Stoic thinking here. The Stoics believed that the earth, the world, is in a cycle. And every so often in that cycle, the earth is burned and then it is reestablished again. So, 2 Peter is bringing that thinking in as he's about to talk about the second coming of Christ and the bringing of God's kingdom fully into the world. Verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, and now we've got a reference to the psalm that we just read, Psalm 90. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance or to a change of heart and mind, which is what we talked about last Sunday. Verse 10, 
But the day of the Lord, which is an Old Testament term that Peter is taking now to uh, point towards that second coming of Christ, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. Here's a second reference now to fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now the writer is going to pull things down to living right now. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God, speaking of the second coming of Christ, and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. Here we've got a third reference to fire in this text. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. This is where the Christian thinking differs from the Greek Stoic philosophers. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, and the fire is not going to be necessary to destroy the earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and together let us say, thanks be to God. Well, I bet your smartphone has a lot of apps that you've downloaded if you have a smartphone. You know, there's a new smartphone app that you can download, and it's called We Croak. W-E, capital W-E. And then the word croak, C-R-O-A-K, we croak, five times a day. If you download that app, we croak, we'll send an alert to you as one of its users. Now those alerts always arrive, not at the same time every day, but at random points throughout the day, but the alert always says the exact same thing. You get an alert from the we croak app and it will read five times a day don't forget you are going to die don't forget you are going to die now its inventor bases the app on a buddhist aphorism or a buddhist saying about death to find happiness contemplate death five times a day to find happiness contemplate your death five times a day. Now, perhaps someone should develop a similar app that we could call We Wear White. We Wear White. And five times a day, if you download that app, here's what would come up on your phone. It's a little bit longer, but not too much. Don't forget, either you're going to die or Christ will return first. Are you wearing white? Now you see, Advent is a season of year when we prepare for the first coming of Jesus, his birth, his first coming, his first Advent. The Greek word that's used is parousia, coming. But 
Advent is also a season of the year in which we prepare for Jesus' second coming. And part of the preparation for Jesus' second coming is that we live lives of purity. We live lives of holiness. We live lives of godliness. We live lives that are spotless, as the text says here in this text. We wear white. White is a symbol of godliness and holiness and purity in Scripture. We wear white so that we learn to talk like and act like and think like and sound like Jesus. Because when he does come back one day, don't you want to be found thinking and acting and talking like your Lord? So the app will come on to remind you, don't forget. Either you're going to die, or Jesus will come back first. Are you wearing white? Now, if you know anything about the second coming of Jesus, you know that there are many interpretations, and maybe I should also say misinterpretations, about Jesus' promised second coming. People throughout human history have mistakenly attempted to pinpoint the time and the date and the location of Jesus' second coming, despite Jesus' dismissal of that possibility in Scripture, such as Matthew 24, 36, and Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, where Jesus clearly says, no one knows the time or the date, not, a, not even the Son. That information, Jesus says, is reserved for the Father in heaven. But that hasn't stopped people throughout human history. People have attempted to take Old Testament books like the book of Daniel, Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21, which all three together talk about the end of time and the second coming of Christ, and especially Christians have loved to take the book of Revelation with all of its apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic is a special type of literature that uses angels and numerologies and other symbols to predict things that are happening at the end times. So people have attempted to do that, and so far they've been wrong on all their predictions. I got here this morning at 725, because I wanted to check out the roads and our parking lot and the walkways, and when I got in my office in my box, somebody had dropped off a packet of material for me this past week. Somebody in the eastern North Carolina community. It was a packet of paper about that thick, and it was filled with information about the biblical signs of the time that indicate when Jesus is coming back. I thought that was rather ironic and providential that I'd be preaching on this this morning, and somebody would leave me a packet of material telling me all the signs I can be looking for that indicate that Jesus is coming back real soon. And maybe he is. But this text about 2 Peter chapter 3, I think gives us three things that we can nail down, no doubt about it, about Jesus' second coming and what we ought to be looking for, especially in this Advent season. What's the first thing that you can nail down? Well, thanks to our We Wear White app, we can nail down this. Don't forget, either you're going to die 
or Jesus is going to return. There's no doubt about that fact. Now the hows and the winds and the wares of God's kingdom coming back in its fullness when Jesus returns, we don't have all of that information. But I want to suggest to you this morning, the real New Testament issue is if his return or your death happened today, would you be ready to meet him? That's the real question that you and I ought to be thinking about. In this text, verse 10 says that the day of the Lord or the second coming of Christ will come like a thief. And I've noticed that thieves typically do not announce their arrival in advance. Have you noticed that? Most of the time, I don't see thieves calling us up on the phone and say, look, uh, you plan to be gone from your house tomorrow around lunchtime? I thought I might come by and break in. They don't go to banks and other businesses that when they're closed on the weekend or at night and call the manager and say, you know, I was thinking about breaking in this weekend. Just wanted to give you a heads up, I'll be coming. Thieves do not announce their arrival in advance. It's sudden. It's unexpected for those people who do not have their radar screens up and running and watching. Maybe you saw this in the news about a Mississippi pastor a couple Sundays ago. A Mississippi pastor got his sermon off literally to a flying start several Sundays ago. He glided into the pulpit from the balcony on a Hollywood-style lift on a cable. It was a dramatic stunt meant to illustrate the sudden and unexpected nature of the second coming of Christ. The Reverend Bar Bartholomew Orr flew into the South Haven's Brown Missionary Baptist Church Sanctuary, preaching into a microphone all of the way down from the balcony on a cable to where I'm standing here in their pulpit. The stunt earned Pastor Orr the nickname, The Flying Preacher. The Flying Preacher. And he asked on his airborne trip, with microphone in hand as he was coming down from the balcony to the pulpit, he asked his congregation several times, are you ready for his return? Are you ready for his return? By the way, videos of the stunt from multiple angles have gone viral on social media. If you just Google the flying preacher, you'll be able to see it. I thought about showing it to you this morning. And then the second thing I thought about was maybe I might come in from a cable <laughs> from the balcony to the pulpit this morning with a microphone in my ear here asking you the question, are you ready? But you know I'm scared of heights and I don't trust cables. But, but you know, I, I think Pastor Orr's, while it was a stunt, it does illustrate the sudden and unexpected nature of Jesus' second coming just like it illustrated it for his congregation that, that morning. They didn't know he was coming from the balcony by way of a cable to the pulpit. Folks, the first thing that you can take to the bank 
about Jesus' second coming is this. Don't forget. Either you're going to die or Christ will return first, unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. So the question is, if either one happens, are you ready to meet your God? Because the scripture tells us one day that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every one of us is going to meet him and we're going to give an account of our life. Are you ready? But the second thing I think you can take to the bank this morning is what the writer of 2 Peter says in this text. Apparently, God, as we understand time, has slowed the process of Jesus' return. Why is that? Well, the writer tells us this in verses 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. God measures time in different ways than you and I do. And again, this is a direct reference to the Psalm 90 that we read. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, to have that change of heart and mind about who Jesus is and the place he should have in your life. So according to 2 Peter, God's slowed the process because he's trying to give everyone in his world that opportunity to come to know his son Jesus, to come to that place where we have that change of heart, that change of mind about who he is and the place that he should have in our life. So as the writer of the psalm tells us, we should learn to number our days. The psalmist says, teach us, God, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And part of having a heart of wisdom is changing our minds, changing our hearts about the importance that Jesus should have in our life. So that's the second thing I think you can take to the bank. Jesus is coming, number one. Number two... He slowed the process to give all of us that chance to make sure our lives are right with him. But there's a third reason, a third thing I should say that you can take to the bank. We ought to be living right now in our current lives, lives of purity, lives of holiness, lives that are godlike, godliness, lives that are spotless as the writer of 2 Peter says, and blameless in verse 14 of this text. We ought to be doing that because when Jesus comes back, don't you want him to find you thinking like he does and speaking like he does and behaving like he would and having his heart and his attitude? Unless you start right now developing that character in your life that, that reflects Jesus, when your Lord comes, he's not going to find you in that way. You, you know the word holiness, we use that word sometimes. The word holiness means 
to be set apart. It means to be different. It means to be distinct. So if we talk about God being a holy God, it means that he's a set apart God. He's different from all the other gods that the people of Israel were tempted to worship in their day and age. He's a different, distinct, set apart type of God. When you live a life of holiness, it means that you've set yourself apart. As a Christian person, you're trying to be different. You're trying to be distinct from how the rest of the world lives and behaves and thinks and their attitudes. That's what it means to be holy. So God is looking for people who have set their lives apart and are willing to give of themselves for the betterment of the world, for people around them. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard of the novelist Stephen King. Some of his novels have been turned into movies. You may remember that about 20 years ago, Stephen King was in a pretty significant car accident. He was a pedestrian walking on the side of a country road in Maine, and as a van topped and came over a hill, it lost control and met Stephen King head on, multiple fractures in his body, weeks in the hospital, and even weeks and months in physical therapy followed for him. A year or so later, as his recovery had progressed, Stephen King was asked to speak at a graduation event for a college. And I want to read to you in his own words what he learned from that experience. He said in that graduation address, a couple of years ago I learned what you can't take it with you really means. I found out while lying in a ditch beside a country road covered with mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg poking out of the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. There's a lot of truth to that. And then speaking of how we come into the world, Stephen King said, we come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Bill Gates, he's going out broke. Tom Hanks, he's going out broke. Stephen King, broke. Not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you trade, all the stuff you buy, it's mostly smoke and mirrors. It's still going to be quarter past very late whether you tell time on a Timex or a Rolex. No matter how large your bank account, no, how, no matter how many credit cards you have, sooner or later, things will start to go wrong with the three things that you call your own, your body, your mind, and your soul. So I want you to cons consider making your life one long gift to others, Stephen King said to those graduates that day. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. World needs are not a pretty picture, but we have the power to help and we have the power 
to change. You will not take it with you. So give it away. Giving is a way to take the focus off of money and refocus on the lives we live, the families we raise, and the communities we nurture. When you lead a life of giving, it helps you to remember that you will go out broke. But right now, you're doing okay. Right now, we have the power to do something great for others and for ourselves. You know, living holy and godly and pure lives right now makes a big difference for others. And it prepares you and me to see the Jesus who will come again. The Jesus who gave his very life for you and for me. We're going to have a lot of explaining to do one day, my friends. When we meet that Jesus who gave his life for us and we're not willing to give just a little bit back to him in return, we're going to have a lot of explaining to do one day. So at the end of the day, always remember, either you're going to die or Christ is going to return first. Either way, are you ready? And are you wearing white, the symbol of a life that's holy and willing to give of yourself to others with your time, with your talents, with your energy, with your money? So Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom as we wear the color white. Amen.